We wanted to create an opportunity to talk to one another instead of yelling at one another. So we're going to talk to two members of Congress who are actively working to put their political differences aside and move our country forward. These are complicated issues, and so to talk about them honestly requires a certain amount of nuance. Because in politics, lobbying insults and, you know, bumper sticker sort of tirades at people across the aisle is problematic. Hello and welcome to Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. This is where leaders, growers, and stakeholders in the corn industry can turn for big picture conversations about the state of the industry and its future. I'm Dusty Weiss, and I'll be introducing your host, Association CEO John Doggett. You can join John every month as he travels the country on a mission to advocate for America's corn farmers. From the fields of the Corn Belt to the D.C. Beltway, we'll make sure that the growers who feed America have a say in the issues that are important to them, with key leaders who are shaping the future of agriculture. In fact, this episode was recorded on Capitol Hill in Washington, with two freshman congressional leaders, Democrat Abigail Spanberger from Virginia and Republican Dusty Johnson from South Dakota. It's important to note that we recorded this episode before coronavirus social distancing went into effect, but the need for bipartisanship is a timely topic nonetheless. If you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. That way you can take us with you in your truck or your tractor and never miss an update from John. Also, make sure you follow the NCGA on Twitter at National Corn and sign up for the National Corn Growers Association newsletter in your email at ncga.com. And with that, it's time to once again introduce John. John Doggett, the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. John, I'm going to read you back a quote. In episode one of this podcast, you told us that too many people say they're going to go to D.C. and fight. And you said, and here's the quote, that's not the way life works. Compromise is not a dirty word because it's the way that things get done. So here we are today in our nation's capital, and we're joined by two lawmakers from opposite sides of the political aisle who aren't afraid to have a conversation and stake out a little bit of common ground. That's right, Dusty. A city on a hill comes from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave to his disciples. But Ronald Reagan made it famous in describing America as a beacon of hope. And, you know, that has changed a bit over the last few decades. So many people, myself included, still believe that America is a city on a hill. Yet, according to a lot of research that has been done, public trust in government has steadily declined over the last several decades. You know, it reached a high uh, before the Vietnam War of maybe 77% believed that their government was doing a good job. And that's pretty much in the tank right now. So the political polarization plays a role in that. And we wanted to create an opportunity to talk to one another instead of yelling at one another. So we're going to talk to two members of Congress uh, today who are actively working to put their political differences aside and move our country forward. Joining us today are Representative Abigail Spanberger from Virginia and Dusty Johnson from South Dakota. Representative Spanberger, would you want to introduce yourself? Yes. So I'm Abigail Spanberger. I represent Virginia's 7th Congressional District. So that's 10 counties in central Virginia, uh, seven predominantly rural counties, three more suburban counties, and we wrap around the city of Richmond. Uh, Representative Johnson, welcome to you too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm the lone representative from the state of South Dakota. There's just one of me for the whole state, the eastern half of our state. uh, Lots of row crops, lots of corn bean mix. Um, I'm a husband to a lovely wife. We've got three kids, and we live in Mitchell, home to the world's only corn palace. 
and everyone should go to Mitchell to see the Corn Palace. Yeah. All right. Representative Spanberger, you have a very interesting background. Tell us about that. And, and tell us about how that, how does that help you in this job that you have right now? So before I came to Congress, I was a CIA case officer. So I worked undercover for the entirety of my time with the agency. And I was uh, working to recruit foreign nationals to provide information to the U.S. government, uh, information that would drive national security related decisions and foreign policy decisions. Uh, so I lived overseas. I worked predominantly counterterrorism, nuclear proliferation cases, and dabbled in a variety of other things as, as we typically did. And I think what that has done for my perspective is everything I ever did as a CIA case officer was focused on ensuring that other people had all the information that they needed to make really consequential decisions. And so I am a seeker of information in all things that I do. And, and I carry that with me here as a legislator in terms of you know, asking questions about the sort of legislation that we're working on and what's our priority and what's our common priority and how can we get there. And it has informed my entire perspective of, of how I approach my work here on Capitol Hill. Okay. And you're fairly, you, you've not been involved in politics until the last election. That's right. So how do you Lucky you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so how do you how do you describe the state of affairs as you've found them here on Capitol Hill? So that's a complicated question because some days it's maddening and some days it is full of hope. And it is as contradictory and as complicated and as simple as that. Some days it feels like we will continue just banging our heads up against the wall and some days it feels like we're going to make progress. But but frankly, I think that I think there's a balance in there somewhere. We're, in the House of Representatives, we've actually made really good progress on a variety of different fronts. We've passed more than 275 uh, bipartisan bills, sent them over to the Senate. Um, but I, I think because of the larger tenor of politics and not the work that we're doing day in and day out, be it in our districts or, or on Capitol Hill, because of the ov overall tenor of politics, some of that gets obscured. And I think it becomes harder for people to see that. I, I, I want to double down on what Abigail said, because I think she's described it pretty well. And, you know, yes, you're right. Uh, you know, public uh, reaction to uh, opinion of Congress is really low. Well, part of that is because we keep talking about our Congress is broken and it doesn't work like it should. But honestly, this place is way better at getting singles and doubles than I expected. I mean, you know, to Abigail's point, every week there are bills that pass out of the House with a couple hundred Democrat and a couple hundred Republican votes. And many of them go to the Senate and they pass, you know, under unanimous consent. Now, those don't grab the headlines because we're all so focused on the cable news tenor. If you really read the Journal of Proceedings of the United States House, you would come away with a sense that this place does get a lot done, admittedly not triples and home runs. But if you watch Fox and MSNBC, you think the whole place is on fire nonstop. I actually, I passed a bill yesterday. We had passed it in the House, went over to the Senate. Uh, Senate made some adjustments to it, came back over here. And so now it's going to the White House for the president's signature. And you know, it's related to 5G technology, it's protecting American consumers and American companies and frankly, our national security. And it's, there's been some write-ups about it, but that's, that's not going to get covered on the nightly news necessarily. But when we're looking at the long-term kind of national security priorities of this country, when we're talking about personal privacy for American consumers, it's a really consequential bill, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> and and this guy voted for it. Yeah, well, why wouldn't I? It's consequential to American national security. 
<laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to ask Brooke, Brooke, you, you've been a lobbyist for a long time. You've worked up here on Capitol Hill from your perspective. And, and when you talk to our farmer members, does what you're hearing match up with what you just heard? Well, I think it's unique in agriculture, actually. I feel that we have to work across the aisle with both parties, and we want to. Um, I believe that the Agriculture Committee is kind of one of the last places where we see really good bipartisan effort, because it does seem to be a bit of a more regional differences that we have in agriculture rather than partisan differences. So in agriculture, um, I feel like it is a little bit different, but it does, as uh, Representative Johnson said, what's going on, bigger picture, and in the media definitely weighs on our farmers. Um, We have a group in this week of probably close to 80 or 90. They've been on the Hill. They've been at different meetings uh, across town and, you know, some encouraging, some not. But I think it's always good when they can come to town and see it for themselves. And they usually walk away feeling better about what's happening here and feel better about the, you know, the the work that they're doing uh, back home. Well, I mean, let's remember, 18 months ago, we passed a farm bill with more votes in the Senate and more votes in the House than it has ever received before. So, yeah, you're right. Particularly in ag, uh, there's a lot more bipartisan activity than people realize. And we saw it with USMCA. We saw it with the uh, Farm Workers Modernization uh, Act that passed the House. I mean, we we see it in, in... all of the priorities that, that are really the things we're hearing about from our agricultural-focused uh, constituents. Sure, and unfortunately, the passage of USMCA seems to be, for a lot of folks, that's the only thing you folks have done, but you know, obviously you've done quite a bit more than that, but it's hard to, to reach folks with that. So in both of your districts, you have two very different districts. Uh, you have, a uh, Congressman, have a very purple district, I would say. And some would call it red. Some would call it red. <laughs> If you want to talk about red, though, I I, I think that that Congressman Johnson probably has you beat on that color spectrum. But both of you have folks that are way over the left, way over in the right. How do you find the place in the middle that you can connect with, with voters to talk about what it is that's really important? I mean, I know a lot of my colleagues, they're trying to find that message to hit the sweet spot you're talking about. How do you connect with the voters? I mean... I don't know, you know, my oath of, uh, oath of office is to the Constitution and to this country, and I, I want to believe, maybe naively so, that good policy makes good politics. And, you know, of course, I'm, I, I try to be a good politician. You know, I'm accessible. I go out, I talk to people, I answer their questions, but I really try not to tell people just what they want to hear. And maybe some people walk away from those conversations feeling frustrated, but listen, I got faith in the South Dakota voters. I think more often than not, whether they're Democrat or Republican or something else, they appreciate the fact that I will at times tell them things that they don't necessarily want to hear because I'm trying to be authentic. Well, I, I I agree with Dusty completely. I, I think sometimes we hear this question asked, like, how do you connect with voters who are different than you are? Well, in everyone's life, they connect with people who are different. In politics, it's the only place where we act so astounded. Anybody who works in any workforce in any place works with people who are different, either different family backgrounds, different politics, different priorities. How did I used to talk with my work colleagues who cared a whole heck of a lot more about whatever sports teams than I did? I I asked questions and I was engaged and interested, you know, with family members and friends who have different political ideologies. You ask questions, you engage. It's the same thing with constituents. And so 
what for me is important is letting people know where I'm coming from, particularly when we disagree, but then also asking the questions to understand where they're coming from. Because frankly, even if I, you know, where I fall on a particular issue might be informed by my experiences, but certainly understanding why they might disagree with me allows me to then explain to them where I'm coming from, perhaps more effectively. And maybe there is a middle ground where they say, okay, well, you know, maybe I do agree with her. Or it helps question whether or not the policy that I think is right is in fact as good as it could be. And are there ways informed by people who disagree with me that I could in fact you know, pursue something better? Or am I just not explaining something as well? Because if good policy is good policy, is it on me that I haven't explained why it why it might matter to this person who out on the kind of outside of it thinks they disagree with me? I, I think that is exactly right. And, and part of the problem is that these are complicated issues. And so to talk about them honestly requires a certain amount of nuance. And that is a lot of particularly partisan voters are more interested in speaking in bumper sticker slogans, right? That's what we hear. Those are easy to explain in a tribal environment. It's easy to get people behind that slogan. And both Abigail and I have a tendency to speak in more nuance. That may occasionally get us in trouble. Maybe people get bored after the first 20 seconds, but that's how we're supposed to govern. That's how we're supposed to be human beings making decisions. A little bit of data, a little bit of nuance. So if you could change one thing in how you interact with constituents, voters, what would you really like to see that would change with your interaction that you think would both help your constituents understand better what you're doing and to give you a better idea of where they're coming from? If I could clone myself, that would be helpful. <laughs> um, and and I, I say that because we have town halls out across our district, but you know, Dusty and I represent hundreds of thousands of people. And so when you can get in a room with 50 to 100 people and people can stand up at a microphone and ask questions and the rest of the audience gets to hear you answer that question and maybe go back and forth a little bit, um, that's really helpful towards, one, you know, addressing whatever that person's question is, but also establishing a standard for how we, and I'll speak for you, as representatives engage with the people that we represent. And, and frankly, in some of my town halls, when they have been a little bit contentious and you know, constituents are sort of arguing with each other, some who may agree with me or some who disagree with me, or when people have gotten feisty with me and others try to defend or, or jump in, for me to be able to say, no, I want to hear this person's point of view, I think that is helpful to the larger community conversation. And so I made the joke about cloning myself because, frankly, we're we're here on Capitol Hill, we're back in our districts working, uh, you know, and, and we're running around all the time. And it would be lovely if we could have the ability to just meet more of our constituents over and over and over. Because I, it's the part of the job that is the most enjoyable, it's the most informative, uh, and it drives everything that we do when we come back to Capitol Hill. Yeah, I wish there were uh, more objective sources of news that consumers sought out. You know, and it's not like it was ever perfect, right? But I do think uh, in the golden days of the American newspaper, although certainly every newspaper had some sort of in-house bias and every reporter had some sort of in-house bias, right? I think their object, you know, uh, objectivity and professionalism were so highly regarded, people honestly tried to correct for their biases. And that's all you can ask for. And I think in, in the modern marketplace, consumers are less and less often choosing those types of uh, outlets. And so we spend an incredible amount of time combating misinformation. 
You know, oh, you know, you serve one year in Congress and you get your salary for your lifetime. Well, no, that's not true. The Congress and I are on the same retirement plan as the janitor at the national parks, right? Uh, it's the federal employee retirement system. Oh, you guys get free health care. No, we don't. I pay like $1,600 a month for a health care product that I'm required to purchase on the Washington, D.C. Obamacare exchange. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's different than free health care forever. And so what, what would I want to do to help the interaction between citizens and their government? Man, it would be great if we could start with a better baseline, a better foundation of knowledge. And I'm not blaming the citizens. You know, the, the, it's harder for them to find places to get that information. I think the ones to blame, I think, most, most frequently are, are our colleagues. Uh, because, because in politics, lobbying insults and you know bumper sticker sort of tirades at people across the aisle is is problematic. And you know, I, I've called some people on the carpet. I guess I could say, in meetings where we've been talking in really great terms, and I said, you know, what we're saying in this room is great, except you know, check your fundraising email when you're out railing on the socialist this and the this these that's and the you know all the labels. I'm a Democrat. You're labeling me as that, and that's not me. How we campaign does impact how we govern. You don't get to be a Jekyll and Hyde and be viewed as an, as an honest and truthful narrator of facts. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and you hit on something about fundraising stuff that goes back home. And a lot of times I, you know, I, I go through some of those and boy, they, they lambast lobbyists, but then Brooke, how many, how many calls have you had from members of Congress in the last couple of weeks asking for, for uh, donations? And, and I always wondered, can we go to your campaign material and see, do you really insult lobbyists that you turn around and, and ask for money? Yeah, I, I think a lot of times, you know, I, we travel a lot around the world to visit our various corn states and, and, and do different meetings. And I get asked a lot, you're in a cab or or in an Uber, what do you do for a living? And I like to say that I advocate for farmers uh, because the word lobbyist definitely has a, a negative connotation in a lot of places. And I actually remember when I was in college, one of my last classes that I had, we I went to school in uh, Columbia, Missouri, which is only about 30 minutes from the capital of Missouri of Jefferson City. And we had a group of lobbyists come up and, and give us a talk about what they do. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That sounds like something that you know, I would be interested in as, as someone who was interested in politics, but then they talked a lot about the negativity that comes along with that. And and we definitely feel, feel it out here uh, every single day. So we try to spin the message a little bit. You know, we're advocating for farmers. How can anyone be upset about that? Oh, wait a second, Brooke. You went to Mizzou? I did. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw I saw your bio, Congressman. Yes, I'm a Jayhawk. Well, we could talk about that later. But as long as you don't start wearing around a Jayhawk pin or anything, we'll be fine. <laughs> I think as we've proved here already in just the last 15 minutes, dialogue is a healthy thing. It's important to have a free-flowing dialogue between people with different political stripes. And being able to respectfully stake out common ground and agree upon what the facts are, as Representative Johnson mentioned, that's important too. It's a prerequisite for a healthy republic. So what are some ways that you're now working together as first-term Congress people to restore civility in a place that can sometimes appear pretty uncivil? Well, both the Congresswoman and I belong to the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is a group of 50 people who some of them are quite conservative, uh, some of them are quite liberal, some of them are centrist, but everybody understands that you don't get to run any organization, whether it's a church or a nonprofit or a business or uh, a government, and get a whole loaf every day. 
right? I mean, I've been married 20 years. I certainly understand the concept of partnering together for everybody to get a half loaf or more, right? And I think the Problem Solvers Caucus just starts with the idea that we can be decent human beings, we can have our own, we can be proud Republicans and proud Democrats while still understanding that you need to find common ground to govern. It is a fantastic hour of every week. We have breakfast uh, one day a week, and it's fabulous. And it is not a social society. We get real things done. And I know I've already talked too long in this answer, but I do want to say there have been times where you know people like Congresswoman Spanberger have um, showed tremendous courage, real profiles and courage, because they've made decisions that haven't always been pleasing uh, you know, to the leadership. Uh, on one side or the other, but they knew it was for the right of the country. That's what that group tries to reward. Representative Spanberger, how did the Problem Solvers Caucus come into existence? And what what are some of the founding tenets upon which you guys all had to agree to join? So it's uh, it's been around for a number of years, and I found out about it when I was campaigning for Congress. I, I met Josh Gottheimer, who's a member from New Jersey, and he's the co-chair, Democratic co-chair. Um, and I learned about this organization, Democrats and Republicans, they get together, they talk about things and they work on legislation together. Now, frankly, it should just be called Congress, but <laughs> as long as it's a subset, I, that's the subset I wanted to, to be in. Um, and so I, I partially campaigned on this notion of I'm a Democrat. I advocate for, you know, a variety of policies that are really important to, you know, a lot of people who identify as Democrats, but I think that you make good policies by understanding why others may disagree with you. I think you make good policy by trying to bring more people to the table. I think you make good policy by kind of thinking through what are the agreements and objections. Um, and, and part of that is forming a relationship of trust. One of the great things about our group, we talk about policy, but we also, you know, we eat breakfast together. We spend time talking. We create relationships. And so when you hear someone sort of railing against your legislation, you can go back to them later and say, why do you hate my legislation so much? Come on, give me, like, explain this to me. Yeah, help me understand. And you have that friendly relationship where it is, you know it's about the policy. It's not just about, you know, their next election or something more cynical. And to join, you have to join, it, a Republican and a Democrat join together. And so it's two by two, Noah's Ark. Um, and I, I think we're adding two more members uh, we just talked about in the meeting. So it's, it's great. Um, and I really, really, truly enjoy it because it's a great place to go. I'm, I'm working on something. Who wants to work on it with me? I've introduced a, a bill related to firefighters' disability with Congressman Bacon. You know, we talked about it. I told him about this bill and he was super excited. It's focused on military firefighters. He himself is a, a veteran of the Air Force. Um, and it just, it, it is the best hour of my week. Well, and real things have gotten done. I mean, the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund was high-centered. It got moved forward because uh, the Problem Solvers pushed it. Frankly, the Problem Solvers Group, particularly uh, the Democrats, were instrumental in making sure that the USMCA was continuing to make progress. We talked about that. The $5.4 billion for humanitarian aid to the border, that would not have gotten done in a time fashion had it not been for the Problem Solvers Caucus. You know, we've got a bipartisan group of us right now that are talking in, de in detailed and specific and operational ways with a pretty large group from the Senate on how do we end this brinksmanship of these government shutdowns. Yeah. You know, Abigail and I are the only freshman class in history to be sworn in during a government shutdown. It's not the right way to run a railroad, I'll tell you that. And John, I think it's important to note, too, it was one of the things that Representative Johnson mentioned, but the USMCA was a major accomplishment that the Problem Solvers Caucus played a real role 
in getting across the finish line. Can you tell us a little bit from your perspective at the NCGA, how important it was for you to have a group like that to work with as you advocated for the USMCA on behalf of farmers? Sure. And I'm going to let Brooke pick it up in a, in a minute, but you know, obviously it was a huge, huge piece of legislation for us. Mexico is, is our number one customer for corn. Uh, we had to have this, this thing pass and, uh, there was a time there we were pretty nervous about it, but you know I think that uh, a lot of good lobbyists uh, came up here a lot, but more importantly, a lot of folks back home. And I know Brooke, you worked hard to get some of our growers to call, and, or a lot of our growers to call and write and, and, and bug folks up here. Yeah, absolutely. That is the beauty of the National Corn Growers Association is that we are very much a grassroots-led organization. And we worked really closely with a number of members on both sides of the aisle, including the Problem Solvers Caucus, to get that piece of legislation done. As John mentioned, Mexico is our number one corn market, and Canada is number two for uh, ethanol exports for the United States. So it was a a huge uh, win for us and uh, provided certainty in the market moving forward. And and we're looking forward to working on more trade agreements uh, in a bipartisan fashion in the coming months and years. So you have 50 members of the the Problem Solvers Caucus. What do some of the members who are not members of that caucus say to you about the caucus? Well, it ebbs and flows. Dusty made reference to the fact that we were an instrumental group in getting the 9-11 Victims' Compensation Fund reinstated. But the way that we were instrumental in doing that is in advance of this Congress, uh, problem solvers, so the ones who were there before us, actually lobbied very hard to put in place what's called the 290 rule. And so that is if a bill has more than 290 co-sponsors, which is a lot of co-sponsors and and requires a lot of work, that that bill can get priority to get to the floor. And so what it means is every member of Congress knows that he or she, if they hustle, can get a bill to the floor. And there's no more this concern that, you know, if leadership doesn't like you or they don't like your bill, they can they can stop it. Um, and so now that a number of members of Congress have used and have started, or at least he hope in that 290 rule, I think they have been uh, really positively inclined towards the problem solvers. Uh, when we have pushed on things that maybe they haven't been aligned with, they're maybe less happy with us. Uh, and, and I think that we did add a lot to the USMCA conversation. I was part of a small group. There were three Democrats and three Republicans that went to the White House to meet with Pence and and to talk about in the very final stages. This was the week before we ended up getting the implementing documents just to confirm our continued commitment to passing USMCA. Um, And I think that being able to sit around the table and have people say, you know, why are your colleagues against it? Or why are your colleagues, you know, what are some of the hesitations? I I think because the hesitation was on the side of my side of the aisle um, for some members, um, I think we were able to provide a pretty strong understanding that, you know, it it is complicated for some people. And they do want to make sure that we feel really strongly comfortable with labor provisions and environmental protections. And I think through some of those conversations across the board at all levels, uh, we did see significant progress. And we ended up uh, voting on a bill that some members who have never voted on trade agreements came to the table and said, I've never voted for a trade agreement before, but I'm going to do it this time because this is a good one. Um, and, And I hope that we provided some of the baseline of understanding of what were the hesitations that later actually got addressed pretty significantly. So you're describing the the amazing concept that if people have conversations with one <laughs> another, that actually you can make some progress. That's correct. Yeah. And again, you know, and we've talked a little bit about this, but I mean, it is worth really bringing to the fore. Big things still do get done in yeah. DC, not as timely as we want them to, but 
Listen, in the two months before, you know, Congresswoman Spanberger and I got here, they passed the Farm Bill, which we talked about. They passed the VA Mission Act, which was a groundbreaking way to deploy, new way to deploy care for veterans, uh, sweeping opioids legislation, and the First Step Act, which was modestly massive, criminal justice reform. That's a pretty good November, right? And so part of what we need to do is make sure we've got a group of us who are willing to move when these windows open. They don't open very often, and they don't open for very long. But when they open, you got to be willing to take advantage and, uh, and, and do something good for the American people. So, Brooke, l- last summer, uh, we had a couple hundred farmers in town, and we had a panel. Congressman Johnson was on that panel. Was it a hit? It was a huge hit. Uh, Just having our membership see two members from opposite parties coming together, talking about common ground uh, and also talking about the work that they're doing in the Problem Solvers Caucus. I can't I'm still here from members today, farmers and staff from our various state associations tell us about how much they enjoyed that and how it was great for them to hear. It also was a good timing on our end because after that discussion, um, all of our members went up to the Hill. So I think they felt very refreshed to know there are a lot of members up here working together in a bipartisan fashion. It's also something we try to promote from the National Corn Growers Association, our involvement with the Problem Solvers Caucus and the No Labels Group to talk more about with our membership. And every time we give them information, they always ask for more. So I think more organizations like ours can get involved, I think that we can hopefully help grow the number. Representative Spanberger, you had alluded to the fact that there are groups working to promote bipartisanship outside of the Problem Solvers Caucus as well. What are some other ways in D.C. that the work is getting done right now? Well, I think it all starts with conversation. And I'll tell a little story about how it sometimes just takes individual initiative. My scheduler a while back Uh, came to me and said, so I got a phone call from uh, Representative Johnson. And I said, yes. And he wants to know what kind of coffee you like. (laughs) And I said, okay. She said, well, so I, uh, she was very, she was flummoxed by this because you had actually made the call yourself, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's, (laughs) I think that's what probably flummoxed her. (laughs) And the, you know, the short version of the story is, Dusty spent time uh, calling around to offices, finding about preferred types of coffee, and then showing up for meetings with other new members, delivering coffee, and spending 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, we had an and this is one of the first times that I actually met him. And so I I give him such a compliment for that um, because it it's initiative and it also was the talk of the office for a while that, you know, he's 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 doing my coffee runs, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think we happen to both be members of Problem Solvers. But it doesn't take one dedicated organization to try and make that same kind of movement. And and frankly, even within within our parties, within Congress, across regional divides or generational divides or length of time in Congress divides or backgrounds of experience, you know, someone who's been in a state legislature has a very different experience from someone who came from the private sector, from someone who came from public service. Um, and, and I think that the more we welcome uh, those kind of personal moments of learning from each other, uh, the the better we will all be able to serve in this larger institution. Well, and progress does come from conversation, just like you said. 
from those conversations, the one thing I wanted to take away was what are the hangups with the USMCA language as it exists now? And so after sitting down with members who I knew wanted to get to yes, listen, some people just wanted to die and it's, it's harder to talk to those folks. But, you know, I sat down because I wanted to keep USA, USMCA moving along, found out from members over coffee, what did they need to get addressed? Then I could go back to our leadership and just say, hey, rather than just run these people down on Twitter, if we can scooch a little bit, this is how we can actually get it done. And it, you don't get as many headlines, um, you know, having uh, private coffee uh, as you do going on cable news, but you make a lot more progress that way. So scooch, don't yell. Yeah, I want, yeah. Right. <laughs> Sounds like a bumper sticker. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> There's your bumper sticker. So I, I do want to say that that when folks listen to this this podcast, they're going to assume that the two of you are actors, and this really did not occur here on Capitol Hill. But I, I can't thank you enough for really bringing this refreshing viewpoint out to a lot of folks who really, really want to hear it. And I can't tell you, I, you know this, but I, I'll just, I have to say it. People are so hungry and so anxious to hear that you folks can get along and get something done that even though you disagree, you can still work on behalf of our great country. So just thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that, because that's what we want to do is have these conversations where people can understand that it isn't just what they heard on MSNBC or Fox news. Well, and just to clear up the record, I mean, it, it may be true that if they're listening to the audio, they would think we're actors. If they're watching any of the video. They're going to know that I'm not an actor. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, <laughs> Dusty's too funny. Um, but I, I think there's a commenting on, on what you just said about people listening. I think that, People across this country have the ability the and the right and maybe even the responsibility to demand more from the people who represent them at any level. Um, and, and some people like the fighting and the us versus them, but many people don't. And if you don't, if you want to be in the camp of, well, I disagree with that person, you know, but I, I appreciate that they took the time to explain or you know, any, anywhere along the spectrum where conversations happen civilly and in a way that is meant to be informative and respectful, the voters have the ability to say to us, we want something different and stop just legislating with bumper stickers. Stop blaming the other people. Stop saying Washington's broken. If it's so broken, why do you want to be there? And if it's so broken, why aren't you saying it's broken, but I'm fixing it? Um, and that for me, I think is, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I ran because I viewed it as something that needs a bit of, it's a, it's a fixer upper, but now that I'm here, um, you know, it's an incredible legislative body and the foundation is good and it is on us to continue to always remodel as times change and as new people come in and to remain committed to what should be our driving mission and focus, which is serving the people that we represent and the country as a larger whole. And the bottom line is this really matters. This is not a reality TV show. I mean, there are millions of extremists in the world who want to hurt our country. We'll do a better job keeping ourselves safe, working as a team. Something like the coronavirus is a real threat. We will better address that threat if we're working as a team. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, the squabbling doesn't actually improve anybody's life. Doesn't any any aspect of our lives. So we're we're about to run out of time. And thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Brooke, thank you. 
this is just, again, remarkable and uh, something that uh, we're looking forward to pushing in both of your districts. Uh, so folks here that, hey, there's some folks in Washington that actually kind of seem to get it. So again, thank you so very, very much. Thank you. I'm John Doggett, the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, and I'll talk to you again next month on Wherever John May Roam, the NCGA podcast. That is going to wrap up this edition of Wherever John May Roam, the National Corn Growers Association podcast. New episodes arrive monthly, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit ncga.com to learn more or sign up for the association's newsletter in your email. Wherever John May Roam is brought to you by the National Corn Growers Association and produced by PodCamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For the National Corn Growers Association, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.